Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will begin a discussion of Genesis chapter 44. And here we discover that all is revealed to Joseph's brothers. But one of the things that we discover throughout the course of this chapter is that sin brings with it pain. And that is a very sobering lesson. In chapter 43, we saw Joseph's brothers finally starting to pass some of the tests. That's good. And when tempted to be jealous over Benjamin's greater portions, they weren't, but they were very merry, verse 34 of chapter 43. However, while they have cleaned up a lot in their lives, they have not dealt with their sins toward Joseph. And we know that sin is a stumbling block. Sin gets in the way of healthy relationships and can prevent us from experiencing the best that God would have for us. The beauty of all of this is that God can and does work in spite of our sins. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for that. I am a great sinner, but I have a greater Savior, as uh, some have said before me. He did uh, just that, uh, working in spite of sin, in the case of Joseph, as we are seeing in this text. But I also want to remind us and consider what the last 20 years would have looked like in Israel's uh, house, that's Jacob's house, if they hadn't uh, given in to the bitter root of jealousy and conspired against Joseph. And that's really just a thought exercise. We don't actually know what it would be like. We can make some educated guesses. But at the end of the day, only God actually knows uh, what that would have been like. But we can imagine that without all the bitterness, without all the anger and the jealousy, and without all the deception and the lies, that life would have been a lot better for them. Now, we see here that the tests are not done. We're going to have uh, some more tests. And tests really prove us. Uh, they, When you think about what a test is designed to do, and of course, in the Western world, we probably think of a test primarily in terms of school, in grade school, and secondary school, and college and graduate school and postgraduate school, we think about, uh, we think about tests, but what, what is a test designed to do? It's designed to see if you have learned something. That's really what it's supposed to do. Right. And so at that basic level at that, at that core level there, uh, whether the test is a written exam or an oral exam or something different, like what we see here, it's, it's designed to see, whether the person taking the test has learned something. And tests can prove us. So maybe not one test, uh, maybe it's going to be a series of tests as we're going to find out here. And when we think about tests and, and we think about that and, and sometimes tests can be painful, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of Jesus as he is appearing to his disciples after the resurrection from the dead and before the ascension. At the end of, of John's gospel, or near the end, I should say, in John 21, verses 15 to 19, he goes to Peter. And remember, Peter had sworn to him up and down that he would not leave. 
And he was adamant, you know, when Jesus had made that prediction that all of his disciples would turn away from him at the hour of his trial, which would lead to his crucifixion, that everybody would turn away. And Peter was just adamant that he wouldn't. And of course, the others joined in. And then when Jesus corrected them and said, no, you will all turn away, you know, Peter began to swear up and down that he wouldn't do it. And so then Jesus says, you know, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice, uh, you're going to deny me. And then afterwards, we obviously know that Peter had denied him. Jesus' words had come true, of course, but he gives him a series of tests. They're verbal tests, verbally administered there. And he asks Peter three different times, very hurtful, well, not hurtful in the sense that Jesus was wrong or anything, but very, uh, very pointed very directed questions that got to the heart and cut Peter to the heart with the questions because he asked him three different times, do you love me? And, and Peter was hurt by that. How could you ask such a question? Well, in light of the greater context, yes, but it was really kind of a test. So very interesting to see. Now, getting back to Joseph's brothers, the initial tests have been passed And we know that a great deal of time has passed between their first visit and their second visit. Uh, We know in chapter 43, verse 10, they delayed things quite a bit. And so they responded to their father, Jacob, and said, you know, if we hadn't delayed all this time because you refused to let Benjamin go, we could have made this trip twice more during this time. So we know that quite a bit of time has elapsed. And through it all, Joseph has kept quiet, even to Simeon. Uh, verse 23 of chapter 43. So that means that there's more to be tested. The brothers need to admit not only among themselves, but be willing to testify before anyone that they had sinned in their actions against Joseph. And that part hasn't happened yet. So as we get into this, then the first 17 verses uh, bring the, the first of two lessons in this chapter. Uh, with regard to the pain of sin and the lessons that we have to go through. And that is this, that God may test his people's love and concern for others because of past sin. And I'll just say at the outset, before we begin working through the test, when you think about that, it makes a great deal of sense. If there is sin in the past, if you're going to move forward, you're going to have to be tested to see whether you have come face to face with that. And if you say that you have love and concern for others, you're going to need to show and you're going to need to be able to demonstrate that you have not only faced that sin, but that there has been a change in your life. So God may test people's love and concern for others because of past sin. Now, when we say that God may do that, we're going to come back to the text and see that we're learning this lesson as we see Joseph through the wisdom that God has given him is applying a test to do the same exact thing with his brothers. Now, we may or may not have a Joseph in our life, but we do have God who can bring these tests about in our life. All right, Uh, Numbers 32 verse 23 uh, says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. God often tests us in the areas where we are the weakest. Uh, I was reading a book several years ago Uh, It was on Making Your Bed, written by a former Navy SEAL. And he made the point that some tests make you stronger, like when he and his buddy would come in last 
and got assigned two hours of extra PT every day, uh, every day during SEAL training. He said it was a killer at first, but slowly it started to make him stronger. And in the end, they were among the very best. God often tests our weaknesses to make us stronger in those areas. Joseph's role here is an interesting one. He devised the test and is being used of God in this manner. So in verses 1 to 6, then, as we are exploring this idea that God may test his uh, people's love and concern for others because of past sin, we see the test is designed with a goal in mind. Verses 1 to 6. Let's take a moment and read. Then he commanded the steward of the house, this is Joseph, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up! Follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. We should say at the outset of this that there is a fine line, and I am more and more aware of this all the time with children in my house who are growing and maturing. And the fine line is what is deception, what is a lie, and what is acceptable. And when you're devising a test and, you know, you think of military strategy, there's deception and, you know, you get into the morals of things like this, you know, does he really practice divination? No, this is all part of a test. Uh, did they actually steal? No, they didn't. I, he put it in there. That's part of deception, which is part of a test. All, all of this is because of what the whole instrument is designed to do. This is all designed as a test, every aspect of it. So it doesn't really fall under that moral category. I just want to say that at the outset. This is all part of the design of the test. So the test is designed with a goal in mind, as we've seen here, verses 1 to 6. So he is very methodical. So what we know from the end of chapter 43 and going into these first verses of 44 is that they've had their meal. uh, They look on and wonder that they're all seated according to birth order and that Benjamin's portions are bigger than everybody else's. And they're just marveling at that. That's all we know. They finish the meal and now we're going on and it looks like, it feels like at the beginning of this chapter that uh, what's happening here is that they're just going to be sent on as before. They're going to have the grain. They're going to have, you know, like I said, the food as much as they can carry. And then he said, put the money back in the mouth of the sack. So now we've got the money issue going on again. Remember, they they had had the money returned to them last time. Now that's going to be returned. But in addition to that, the silver cup, the personal silver cup of Joseph's. So all of this is very intentional. And then not only the silver cup somewhere, but it's very intentionally placed with the youngest along with his money. That would be Benjamin. He no doubt has some inkling of an idea. Not only is this his blood brother and not a, uh, a step brother, but you know, he probably understands his father's attachment as well. And then after he's given them a little bit of time, he says, then go after them and say these specific words. 
And then we see that those who work for Joseph are obedient. They really play a minor role. It's almost, and I'm not saying, you know, we don't have license to, to read into this allegorically or anything like this, but it is interesting just to note that when you see the servants of Joseph in this particular narrative, we don't know anything about them. All we see them doing is everything that they're told. And in that sense, they're kind of like the angels who minister to God. Now, they don't have the ability to disobey. They just do what God says. And uh, that's what Joseph's servants are doing for him because he's second in command in the land. So it makes sense that they're, they're doing that. And so they go and speak all the words precisely the way Joseph has told them to and really is making an accusation of them uh, of evil. Really, why have you repaid evil for good at the end of verse four? And so they're obedient in that. So the test is designed with a goal in mind. Well, how would you react if you had been accused of a theft, of stealing? Uh, you would say, I'm innocent in this matter. And that's exactly what we find. If you are actually innocent, then you're going to protest. You're not just going to go along with it. So we see that the innocent will protest. Now, they're innocent of what Joseph is accusing them here, but this is designed to expose their sin. Think about uh, the story that Nathan the prophet tells David as he gives him a story. David doesn't know the stories about him. He thinks it's about somebody else. And so he's kind of going along with it, getting all you know angry and then the tables are turned and it's actually about him. So there's a little bit of protest at the beginning and then we get to the, uh, the grand climax of the situation. All right, so the innocent will protest verses seven to 13. They said to him, this is the servant, why does my Lord seek or speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing, right? They say they're innocent. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver and or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. So they do protest. They give their reason of innocence in verse eight and they said, listen, we know that there was money at the beginning. We brought that back and then some and you're accusing us of stealing. We're, we're not trying to steal. We're doing the right thing right? They have their sincere belief of innocence with this proclamation in verse nine, whichever of your servants is found with this silver cup, you, you really are, you have the audacity to accuse us of stealing from you when we came to, to transact business. No way. You know, if, if any of us, we're so sure of our innocence that if any of us has this, uh, that person can receive a death sentence. We're okay with that. And furthermore, we'll be, we'll be indentured servants for, for life. You see the sincerity of their plea of innocence here. And they probably looked around at each other at this moment, and none of them are thinking that anybody took it. And then they have a willingness to prove their innocence where they quickly lower their sacks to the ground and each man open that. It's like, yeah, we're fine. Let's look in here. And then there's the shock of guilt right? They search beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. There's a little bit of interesting note there. 
that they again search according to birth order. I mean, nothing is made of that in the text, but it does say that they progress down. So that means it was not discovered at first. They always say that the thing that you're looking for is in the last place you look for it because you're not going to keep looking after you find it. But it is interesting that they don't start with Benjamin. The steward knows exactly whose sack it was put in, but they go through this methodical process so that everybody can see that it is with Benjamin. And of course, the reaction then in verse 13, they all return to the city. There's no way that they can let this slide. Uh, They've got to go back. All right. So that brings us then uh, to this last aspect here, which is uh, not only the test designed with the goal in mind, the innocent protesting their innocence. Remember, all of this is under the idea that God may test his people's love and concern for others because of past sin. Now, when they get back, Now, verses 14 to 17, when the evidence is presented, there will be an admission of guilt, right? This is kind of that Nathan David moment. You are the man, right? Remember when he says that, and that's not a compliment, by the way, that is an accusation. You're the the guilty party there is what he's saying. Verses 14 to 17, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Note the irony. I just want to point that out there again. They're now falling before him again, third time uh, in fulfillment of all the the scriptures uh, and and the the vision and the dream that God had given him back when he was a, a young man, a teenager. Verse 15, Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judas said, what shall we say to my Lord? What, what shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father." So when evidence is presented, there will be an admission of guilt. Uh, They don't know how it got there, but they can't get away from the fact that the cup is actually there and was found with Benjamin. So there is humility there in verse 14. They fall down on the ground before him. It is now, like I said, happened multiple times. There's the admission of guilt in the uh, second part of verse 16. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants right? One commentator wrote this with regard to this, according to a higher moral order, an exact relationship exists between their distress and their crime. They acknowledge that the men who act against them are only tools of higher justice. God is the true judge. Their public profession of this and acceptance of the verdict is their repentance and greatness. That's an interesting observation from Benno Jacob from his book, the first book of the Bible. Uh, And really, it is interesting because of the culture and the correlation here, the proportionality uh, that we see. And then there is an act of fairness on Joseph's part. Again, when he says, I can practice divination, it was all designed as part of this test. You know, and go back to those first few verses of the chapter. It's all part of the design and was said to be that way. It's not like he was actually practicing divination, but it was all there to prove a point that is coming very quickly. 
But it is interesting. Not only did the servant say that everybody was free to go except the one in whose hand the cup was found or sack, uh, the, the cup was found, but Joseph reiterates it in verse 17, far be it from me that I should do so. Uh, you don't need to all be my servants. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. The rest of you go up in peace to your father. You're free to go. So there is an act of fairness there. Uh, even though they have admitted guilt, but they know because of the conversation that they've had with their father, that this can't be the ending note. This is, <laughs> this is not going to go well. So we are going to have to end it there, but it really shows us just how difficult tests can be. And it's hard to prepare for the tests that come in life. You know, it's one thing when you're going through school and you know, a test is coming, but all of life in one sense, if you want to look at it this way, is a test. You're being tested every day. Your faith is being tested, your integrity, your character, all of those things. And really, if you're going to pass a test, then you need to be honest. You need to be transparent before the Lord. Uh, you need to act uprightly. You need to walk uprightly. You need to speak uprightly. And you need to keep a short account with God, a short account with others. You need to try and resolve things. I mean, all of these things are good practices when you discover that you are sinning uh, rather than just continuing in sin. You need to bring that before the Lord. Keep, like I said, a short account with the Lord. And you need to, to just make sure that's the best way that you can to prepare for these unforeseen tests that come along. God knows. But in the case of Joseph's brothers, we see that this test, uh, this test of his brother's love uh, and concern for others has to be administered because of their past sin. How are they going to treat, you know, are, in other words, and, and look at it this way, and they're setting them all up. And like I said, we won't be able to go on and finish chapter in this episode. But the real question here is they've already been willing to abandon one of their brothers on the premise of a lie. Will they do that again just to look after their own hide? He's giving them that opportunity. We have now set up the great test, right? This, this little, you know, smoke and mirrors thing with returning the money in the sack and the, the silver cup. Okay, fine. He's now put them in a position where he can keep uh, Benjamin and let the rest of them go and they can just go back to their father and make up a story and be done. Are they going to do what they did to him 20 years ago or have they really changed and are they willing to admit their guilt? That's the real test that is upon them. Well, we'll see how they do with that test when we pick up the text in our next episode starting in verse 18. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net. Mm-hmm.